ETSU Wofford week. The Bucks trying to get one more monkey off the back since ETSU football's been back. They got one by winning at Sanford. They get another couple opportunities. Chattanooga, Furman on the road. But they've beaten every team once except for the Wofford Terriers. And I know Mike Gallagher, who's going to jump in here in just a second, loves that I give him the stat. But it has been 8,365 days on Saturday since ETSU has beaten the Wofford Terriers in football. 1998. Now, granted, these numbers are always inflated because, you know, 12 years without football will do that. But still, 98 was the last time ETSU won in football. They actually went back-to-back. The last time they won Johnson City was 97. So they went at, obviously, Wofford in 98. Nine straight for the Terriers, who lead the all-time series 15-13. And it's a different Wofford Terrier team than we've seen in the past. Still, I think, a dangerous team. They've got some running backs that can still get it done. they still got some road graders. I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but Josh Conklin really wants to evolve the offense away from the triple option. Sort of hybrid over the last few years where they've gone shotgun triple option. I know Coach Ayers did that a little bit in his last few years there as well. But certainly, if Wofford can control the clock, and this would be the exact opposite of Sanford, right? Wofford's going to run it down just just like actually the next week's Citadel. They're going to run it down to a few seconds left on the clock, and they're going to try to, we assume, they're going to try to run the football and try to shorten it up. So where out of 111 plays, right, you can give up some plays and still make a play, right? I mean, ETSU gave up a lot of drives down the field. They were able to get a couple of turnovers. They got a few stops. They certainly gave up a lot of touchdowns. But still, they did, you know, every play wasn't as – important as this game where every play will be a little more magnified because there will be less plays. There will be less opportunities to try to score. In 2019, Coach Sanders said something on Wednesday. I had to go look it up, but Wofford only had four possessions in the first half. They scored three of them, and then the weird Walker tried to lateral and gave the Bucks a touchdown. I think it was 2018, actually. He tried to lateral, and the Bucks ended up getting a touchdown out of it, but there just wasn't that many possessions in the game. And then, of course, 2019 is when Wofford tried to throw the ball, lost a couple, then they went back to the run game. And, my goodness, Joe Newman just exploded for – it felt like a 1,000 yards and 18 touchdowns. I know it's not possible, but that's what it felt like. I didn't fact-check Randy Sanders on the coach's show last night. He said it was 207 first-half yards from a quarterback. He had four touchdowns, right? He had four touchdowns, I know. I didn't go back to see if it was 207, but one of the touchdown runs was like 60-plus yards. And then there were a couple others that were like – 15, 20 yards, so there's 110 right there. When 
be too far out of the realm of possibility for him to go and get, you know, 100 more in that first half where Wofford jumped out to a 28-3 lead. And all of a sudden, you're sitting back as the box, and, I mean, every game since Randy Sanders has gotten ETSU has essentially been close, and you're getting absolutely crushed at home by Wofford. This is, as I've talked about before, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to in the first segment of this show because this is the best chance that ETSU has had to beat Wofford since football has been back. And the last thing that they have not done since they brought football back is beat this Terrier team. They've been to the NCAA playoffs. They've won a Southern Conference championship. They've had the biggest comeback in program history. They've beaten every other SoCon opponent, all seven others, at least one time. They have not beaten Wofford. And on Monday at the press conference, Jared Folks was there, Will Huzzy was there, Randy Sanders was there. And he had to ask, does this game mean more? It just meant more at Vanderbilt. So according to ETSC football Twitter, very good, very good. Does this game, though, just mean more to these young men on this team, especially the Will Huzzies, the Jared Folks, the Blake Bockritz, the, the people that have been around and have been involved in a lot of these Wofford matchups and have seen time and time again this game go one way and not the other. And really, it's been largely one way and not the other. And they said the right thing. No, this is just another game. I, you know, there's not really any week that we're going to look at different than the other. It's opportunity number five, so on and so forth. But maybe I'm inflating it too much. To me, this is one of the biggest opportunities for ETSU since football has been back. This is not just another game. This is not just another opponent. This is the final straw that you can look at and say, if we're able to take this, we're all the way back. We are here. And you announce your presence onto the college football scene at the FCS level. And they've done that again. I mean, even, you know what, another thing I missed, they beat an FBS opponent. They beat an SEC opponent. I mean, they've done everything except beat Wofford. So while along the way there's a lot of firsts, there's a lot of steps. This is the last step that ETSU has to take. And, again, they've done all the others, and you can say, oh, well, they've been back for a number of years. Look what they did in 2018. You know, look what they did against Vanderbilt. All, the, all these different things. You know, they joined a conference. They built the stadium. All of these things, yes, those were big steps. The last one, to me, is nearly as important as the first one. And this is the final step the Buccaneers, and they have a great chance to take it. I don't know what the line will be. I imagine the Bucks will be touchdown and a half, maybe two touchdown favorites, because Wofford is not the team that we've known. They're not as strong up front. They do still run the ball. They are not a pushover. There is no way that ETS can approach this game that way, and I don't think they will. Randy Sanders generally does not let that happen with his team, but if they do, this is a Wofford team that can knock you off. They need to run the football. They need to stop the run because that's what they've hung their hat on for all these years. Seven playoff appearances since uh, 2009 season that was down. Since then, seven playoff appearances. And the last four fall seasons, they've made the playoffs. I know it seems like forever ago, but the last four fall seasons, 16, 17, 18, 19, they have made the playoffs. So this is still a program that you have to be careful of. But as you mentioned, this Wofford Terrier team is a bit different than we recognize ETSU clearly a bit different than Wofford, what we've seen before, Jim. I, I think the big thing, 
And, and I've got stats upon stats upon stats that I don't have enough time to read. You have done your research and then some this week. I'm impressed. Deep dive. I got. I got yeah. into some deep dive. I, I would read something in the game notes that like would you know because of course they're negative. So as you would imagine, game notes like there's a little bit of yada in there, and then that led to me doing some deeper dives and getting some more information. I think the big thing is this isn't the Wofford team and it started in the spring because it's the first time Wofford didn't at least have a share or were the conference champions. They had had three in a row. It was broken in the spring, and again they didn't get a lot of games in. Four straight playoff appearances were broke. Then all of a sudden, it led me into a deeper dive of when was the last time Wofford had been preseason eight or lower? 1999 was the last time they'd been ranked that low. 22 straight years they have been top ten rushing. And, again, they run like Kennesaw State. You know, you run triple option stuff, you're generally going to be up there. But right now, they're 23rd. ETSU's 11th which is the highest it has been ranked since football has been back, as you would imagine. Here's the big thing, I think, that stood out to me. The defensive numbers are about the same. In 2019, I'm just at a three-year period here, 2019, last time they won a conference championship, 22 points, giving up 325. In the spring, 28 points, 380 yards. This year, 28 points, 388 yards. So, similar, giving up about 60 more yards in 2019 and six points. It doesn't sound that egregious but offensively in 2019 32 points in the spring 26 points this year 19 points time of possession 34 minutes 32 29 close to 30 minutes right now and then here's the big one the turnovers because you think of Wofford you think of ground game control the clock don't make mistakes play good defense well 10 turnovers in 12 games in 19 seven turnovers in five games in 20 and six turnovers in just three games. Now, certainly correctable, but to me that is huge numbers. Um, and then the big one I found was 83 games they had given up 11 100-yard rushers. But in the last two games they've given up 100-yard rushers. Now, Kennesaw ran for 339 yards, and that's what they do, and they've been top 10 rushing for whatever time frame they've been playing football, I guess since ETSU did in 2015. But Corey Britty went for 171 yards last week. That's a little bit alarming. I know there are some injuries piling up on the defensive side for Wofford. They have seven guys out for the year, um, going to miss a defensive lineman in this game, but they're missing three linebackers, now three defensive linemen. They're missing a couple of offensive linemen. So it's going to be interesting to see how Wofford will be able to kind of control the line of scrimmage because that's been their bread and butter, and that's how they've won football games on the flip side i thought wofford's running backs did a tremendous job of yards after contact so basically typical vmi they, they brought the house on about every play because they know athletically they're they're not quite especially the back end and not quite there but other than stone snyder if any linebacker touched a wofford terrier running back the running back will just break tackles and get into third level because the second level's at the line of scrimmage so I think that's going to be key for ETSU. I don't think they'll blitz all that. I think they'll stay in base more. I think this game fits Billy Taylor a little better because he can do all the substitution packages he wants. I'll be curious to see if Wofford's committed to the run and if they try to play tempo at all or they just stick with what Wofford does and basically just try to out-Wofford you, if that makes sense. I'll go to the stat direction with you. Keep it in mind that the stats this year are, I think, a bit too early to judge off of simply because of the 
vast array of ways that teams approach the non-conference. Wofford's giving up the same amount of points per game this year as they did in the spring, which was their most given up since 2009. Now, speaking of too early, they only were able to play five games, right? But constituted a full season. Contributing to that, Wofford's finished top two in the SoCon in rushing offense all but twice since the 2010 season, so flipping to the offensive side of the ball for a second. Those years being 2013 and this year, their combined record those seasons, 6-8. and eight. So the Wofford run game has to be elite on the offensive side. Let's flip back to the defensive side. They finished top two in the league in rushing defense all but three seasons, those being 2013, spring of 2021, and here in the fall of 2021. Their combined record those years, 7-12. and 12. Keep in mind, they've made seven FCS playoff appearances and won all kinds of Southern Conference titles in that stretch as well. Perhaps the most telling for me, Terriers have finished top two in the league in total defense seven times going back to 2010. They made the FCS playoffs every single one of those years. And their record was 64-26 and 26 those seasons with just 11 league losses the five years. They haven't been top two in total defense. They have, you guessed it, zero playoff appearances, and their record is 18-23 and 23 with 16 league losses, again, in just five years versus the seven years that they have made the FCS playoffs. The interesting thing this year about their defense, and the total defensive numbers are about the same, right? As you heard, there's you know a spot or two difference as they kind of traverse this early portion of the season, but if you break it down a little bit more, the rush defense has been I mean, they're seventh in the conference in rush defense, which would be far and away their worst over that stretch of seasons I've talked about. Interesting thing is their pass defense has elevated. So they're third in the league in pass defense right now, and it's strange because they never have really had a great pass defense. I believe if I remember right, they haven't finished above fifth in the league over any season since 2010 in pass defense. So you look at the breakdown of rush pass and total defense, and you say, okay, yeah, obviously their defense needs to be elite, and on the offensive side, they need to run the ball. But when you look at the few spots difference from the rush and pass side, it all does kind of seem like it fits together. And the one outlier in terms of things not going the way that they usually do in terms of their rush defense being extremely solid, pass defense being mediocre at best, has been this year. And for ETSU, I don't know if I like that or dislike that. Now, in the past, and you've heard throughout Sanderson the Sidekick first month of this fourth season, I have absolutely loved when teams have had, hey, great pass defense, poor run defense. Well, we want to run the ball anyway, right? And our run defense can hopefully soften up that secondary and make a few opportunities. And you don't got to hit a lot of big plays when you have a run offense this great. You just got to hit a few. And now, you look at all the stats, I don't want to overcomplicate it, right, because this is still a run-first team. Tyler Idell's been so good. I mean, he's top 20 in the nation in pass efficiency, yards per completion, yards per attempt. You know, Will Huzzy, Isaiah Wilson, Malik Murray have all done good things in the receiving core. Nate Adkins, you know, he's not catching a ton of balls, but he's certainly back. I mean, he, when called upon, can make that tough catch. Has a couple of times this year, obviously, blocking-wise. Coach Sanders says he's all around one of the best tight ends in the Southern Conference when he's healthy, and he is healthy this year. So it's interesting to see that breakdown, rush versus pass, over all these years and then this year, because ETSU can hurt you, which they haven't been able to do since football's been back, 
both ways. And so I'm not sure as a defense there is a great way to slow this offense down. And I want to bring it back to Monday before I kick it back to you because we left the first segment of the show with me teasing a little bit of Thursday how I wanted to talk about Coach Sanders' comment that you mentioned running 8 to 10 plays on Saturday that they hadn't repped in practice in a couple of weeks and having success with them. That tells me guys really have a deeper understanding and comprehension of this offense. And you look at the timing for Coach Sanders. This is year four. A lot of programs hit their stride under a head coach in the third, fourth year of their tenure. And a lot of times that's because they get their recruits in, right? Guys that fit their system, they finally have full turnover of the roster, and it's all theirs. And that may be some of it for Coach Sanders. And he's clearly been able to get some quality wideouts, which he has, you know, harped on for so long about there not being enough playmakers on the outside. But I think it also is with how complicated that this offensive scheme is, guys needing to be in the program for a couple of years and truly have that deeper comprehension of the offense for things to start to click. And you heard him talk about after the game Saturday, he thought that this offense could hang in a shootout game for a lot of the fall. And they did on Saturday. And that is monumental for this program because they couldn't have done that the previous few years. And if there is truly that deeper understanding that Coach talks about, and it was shown Saturday, that is really, really big trouble for opponents. And as this program goes forward, it's only going to get better and better because now these players that do have that deeper comprehension can start teaching on the side, away from coaches, that offense to others that are coming in. And it just, that is really a self-fulfilling prophecy, I feel, for this program. And that can only be a plus for us. I, I thought it was interesting, too, just to hear the level that Coach Sanders prepares that he set on a play that he worked on in practice in a new formation. Same play, just new formation. A little bit different blocking scheme. But hey guys, talking to the coaches, better make sure we know this. Come on, call us at some point. Well, he breaks it out in overtime and Holmes scores on it. And he credits Holmes because the last six yards he carried everybody in the end zone. But still, knowing the offense enough to call plays in certain situations and think about this the first touchdown of the season was to Malik Murray which was a play that they didn't practice or repped a lot and he's new to the system right what's his football IQ right, right. didn't he, then Tyler Rydell comes to my office and we're talking about just the win and I asked him about the touchdown pass to Wilson amongst a billion other things I asked him and he's breaking down the cover two, the Tampa two, what we saw live. Chris Edmonds, he's at 47, Chris Edmonds. Kind of stopped instead of running down the center of the field whenever everyone was running verticals because he was expecting them to stop at the sticks and get a first down. And as you would imagine, the safety to Wilson's side was shading Will Huzzy because you've seen highlight after highlight of Will Huzzy catching balls down the sideline. Why wouldn't you cheat that way? And then when the other safety cheated on the other side of the hash, then the middle of the field was wide open. Tyler Rydell throws the ball down the middle. Now, that tells me everything is slowed down for him. And he's not missing guys down the field. And certainly he's had confidence because early in the season they weren't perfect passes, but guys were pulling them in. Now he's throwing perfect passes, and everything is clicking. So I'm very excited for – this is the vision that Randy Sanders had for the offense. And, you know, again, you're getting close to can you run it for 200? Can you throw for 250? Or, you know, Coach Sanders would say 250 and 250. But still, 
you're getting close to a completely balanced attack. You're getting big plays in the run game. Harped on it Wednesday, but the 20-plus plays, this year already you've almost eclipsed what you're able to do in the spring in all of 2019. 20-plus plays, 20-yard-plus plays. So that's incredible to me, and it's multitude of guys. You know, in the run game, obviously, it's Sailors and Holmes. But in the pass-catch game, four guys, three the big three receivers, and Murray, Wilson, and Huzzy. Sailors has a couple of 20-yard catches. Of course, he has the 60-yard touchdown catch. Then you look at Nate Atkins has a 20-yard catch. And so he gets another 20-yard catch. Now you got five guys that can go down the field and catch it 20 or more. I mean, it's just incredible all the sort of weapons. That, and when the quarterback play, and we've said this on air, and we're not knocking any quarterback, and Austin Herrick will be the first guy here to tell you that if you had above-average play in this system, it could thrive. And right now, I think Tyler Rydell is playing above average. I don't want to say he's su- superior, great, anything like that yet. But, man, his numbers and the command of the offense, if he continues down this path, we'll go over this in a few more shows, but, I mean, he could hit some, some levels of some elite talent quarterbacks that have played here. So, 291, three touchdown passes, able to use his legs. I, I think it was incredible. Billy Taylor. I thought was great. Um, Matt Wilge and I were texting with Billy Taylor and just, hey, coach, great win, whatever. And we survived that. And he was like, thank goodness for the offense. And we're like, well, you know, me and Matt were like, well, they probably owe you a few. And he, <laughs> At least. And he said, well, I think they paid them all back tonight. <laughs> so <laughs> if nothing else, Billy Taylor was just lucky, uh, lucky to survive. One more thing on the offense, and then we'll just kind of turn the page here. But. Red zone off. I, I cannot overstate this. I know they're 18 for 19. We've told you why they're really 18 for 18. The stats will never show it, but they're really 18 for 18. But that's not the big number to me. The 13 touchdowns. They're second to Sanford in red zone touchdowns. But it's the highest they've been in the league, period, since football's been back. The previous best was fifth in 2018. Other than that, in the spring of 2021 and 2019, they were eighth. There were years they were ninth. So there's only two years, 2018 and this year, that they've been out of the bottom cellar of red zone touchdowns. And more, how does that add to the win total, right? When you're punching in and getting seven points as opposed to kicking three field goals, right? Three touchdowns, three field goals. You do the math. I mean, it's pretty simple to see how you can win games. And to me, that is one of the biggest differences as well as ETSU is scoring in the red zone, but to me, they're scoring a lot on third down in the red zone. I mean, look at Vandy, the touchdown pass there. They had two touchdowns in the red zone on third down in this last game. I mean, they're getting touchdowns, you know, on third down and converting in those high-pressure situations, and certainly last week when they needed them. But they're converting in high-pressure situations and not settling for three. And I love Tyler Keltner, but I hope he just kick extra points for the rest of his career, right? And I mean, maybe a 55-yard field goal before halftime or something just because he couldn't run another play. But other than that, I mean, I hope he's kicking extra points. And I think that's the, the the other big reason why you're seeing the success right now for ETSU. Yeah, he's sixth in the nation in scoring. You'd rather have him, like, 26th or 36th, right, because sixth in the nation in scoring. Field goal kicker means you're kicking a lot of field goals, getting threes instead of ones. Um, third downs and penalties are the other big ones, and we talked about that a lot. But I think along with red zone, you know, there's been years. ETSU has been bottom of the league and habitually – second or third from bottom in the league in terms of 
penalties or penalty yards and third down conversion rate. And right now, penalties are not something I think over four weeks of the season that we've really had to talk about much. Talking about having weapons on the outside, and you mentioned it, the wide array of playmakers. When have we ever had a conversation like this about ETSU? I mean, it's, it's incredible. Now, usually I'd say this week this would be a big test, and it will be. Don't get me wrong. Every Southern Conference game presents, even Western Carolina, presents its unique set of challenges. This week usually just presents kind of a different unique set than what you're going to see from Wofford, again, because they're usually going to be able to take the runaway. So then there is a lot of pressure on the pass game, and you truly, for the first time this year, get to see if this Tyler Idell-led pass game is the real deal or not, because, let's be honest, 91, uh, essentially 91, and Delaware State on top of the 91 with UVA-wise. SEC opponent, and played great, Tyler Idell did. The stats against a Southern Conference team, if you would put those into a Southern Conference game, would have been so-so. But it was against an SEC team, yes, awesome, great. Um, But once you get into conference play and you face week-in and week-out teams that are at your level, know your game, so on and so forth, it's going to be different. And so I say, yeah, it's different, but look what Rydell did against Sanford. Okay, Sanford's probably going to end up with the worst pass defense in the conference this year. So I'm not throwing out his 291 yards and three touchdowns. It was a career day, and he came up with some big throws, as we talked about. And he played absolutely exceptional. And he deserves all the credit, as we have given him credit on the show and on social media, everything. He deserves all of those lauds and praise. But I'm not sure you can really say that was a true test. And I'm not saying this is going to be easy for Tyler Idell in the pass game, because Wofford's pass defense is much improved. But I'm not sure it will be the true test that it would usually be, because not all of the pressure will be on the passing game. Because Wofford has been so bad against the run for the first time in decades. Seventh in the league in run defense. Usually they're first or second. So without being able to take away and stop Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors to the level that they have in the past... And who knows, they could pull a rabbit out of the hat and do that. I just don't think it's going to happen, considering the recent history and how impressive ETSU has been offensively in the run game, per the usual. Without being able to take that away, ETSU is going to be able to use that run to maybe open some things up in the passing game. So it will be something that ETSU will have to navigate, and Tyler Idell will be challenged with, the number three pass defense in the league, But I almost prefer how this defense is aligned this year because you're going to be able to use both weapons on the offensive side, not just the pass game. It's going to take a balanced effort, I think. And that's what Randy Sanders has said time and time again that ETSU needs. And so if they're going to have success on Saturday – I think they may have to play the most Randy Sanders style of game plan maybe that they ever have at ETSU in order to have success. I think if this game's 17-14, that's bad news for the Bucks actually, because I don't think Wofford's going to be able to keep up with the offense if it is clicking. But I think that if it's you know in the 20s or higher, that means good things for ETSU, the winning score being 20s or higher, because it seems like right now, their offense can't be matched by this Wofford team. It, right now, that, I mean, if the offense continues to play 
I mean, we've kind of said it, but, you know, I I think it's going to be tough to score 24 points on the Buccaneer defense. And I thought, you know, yeah, that would be the one game. And the question was, could they win that one game? Now, it's early in the season, so there could be another game where they give up more than 24 points. But I can't remember a time where we sat here and thought, you know, and so what? They score 35 points. Offense can score 35, 38, win the game. I've just never, you know, it hadn't entered into the process of my thinking of ETSU football, and now it has. Now it's, you know, ETSU scores 30. Now it's the flip side. It's, can anybody else catch them? Right. And so I, I think the ability to do that come from behind and just believe in what that did was what it did for 2018 in the Furman win. They came behind, and all of a sudden the guys looked at each other and like, we can do this. And I kind of feel like they're maybe not to that extreme of a feeling because the, you haven't had quite the history where ETSU had failed going into 2018. I mean, there's a lot of guys on this roster that were still a part of the 2018 and have a Southern Conference Championship ring. So some of those guys still remember that. And there's not a ton of guys, but there are guys that are on the field and remember, and, and some in key spots. I mean, Way Holmes, if you remember, had the ball knocked out of his hands as a true freshman going in the end zone Jacksonville State. That could have been a different story. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's that's kind of why I harp on the red zone touchdowns because how many one-possession games, and you look back to all the field goals ETSU scored. Yeah. So, rushing's going to be big in this game. Wofford's been able to handle ETSU's run game the four times they've played. Total, not average, 167 yards. Total. Four games for ETSU, and that includes a couple of games with Holmes and Zaylers. So that and, makes an easy bold prediction. Uh, it does. That's, that's Is that a, foreshadowing? That's, that does, because uh, that's where I'm, you know where I'm going yeah. with that. But still, I think that's impressive by Wofford in the front line. I think ETSU has to come out, run the football, and if they trouble, or if Wofford stacks the box, as we've seen, ETSU's been able to push the ball down the field. They feel good about pushing the ball down the field. And it makes for a dangerous team. And certainly the crowd's going to be raucous because there's about 650 seats hard left. And then you're talking about standing room only at that point. You could get near that 10,000 body number. ETSCTickets.com, 433-439, ETSC. There you go. All right, let's step aside for a time. When we come back, rest of the Southern Conference because there are some interesting matchups this week we'll talk about. Right for this time out, San Sidekick, Buccaneers Sports Network. You'd be amazed to learn what one Tennessee lottery ticket can lead to. For you, it could be lucky, but for others, it could open the door to so much more. With more than $6 billion raised for education, the Tennessee Lottery has proudly funded over 1.5 million scholarships and grants. That means, on average, more than 130,000 Tennesseans every year continue their education just because you play. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, education-benefiting fun. It was loud, I thought, this time. That's right. You're getting people juiced up for the segment. It is the first full slate of Southern Conference play this year. The bye week for Furman. Let's start with Western Carolina at Chattanooga. And this looks like exactly what Chattanooga would like to start conference play with. They had the demoralizing defeat against Austin P at the start of the year. And the governor has just lost to Eastern Kentucky 
over the weekend, by the way. Then they shut out North Alabama to Chattanooga, one of the two shutouts in the league this year. Then the near upset of Kentucky. Seems like they're getting better and better. Had the bye week last week, but if they're hoping to avoid any complacency or a letdown after that Kentucky game and not being able to get it done in Lexington, the league team that hasn't won a game yet seems like the way to go in terms of who you'd like to face in that first conference game. Olim Ford, after he opted out of the spring, I believe he's fully back. The play says that. He's the only other back in the league to average over 100 yards per game along with Quay Holmes. The question mark still is the quarterback position. Drayton Arnold and Cole Copeland have been bad for the mocks. No other way to put it. You wonder if the bye week wasn't a great transition, and this is all going to come down to if he's healthy and ready or not, but is Robert Riddle cleared? Because he could be the last piece for this offense that really makes them formidable and championship level. We heard around midseason was was going to happen. We're not quite there yet, so maybe premature, but we're about three weeks from being two years removed from what Mercer head coach Bobby Lamb, former Mercer head coach Bobby Lamb, called the toughest injury that he had ever seen. That happened October of 2019. They could use him because, as a team, they're completing just 50% of their passes and have two passing touchdowns to five interceptions. The defense, obviously fearsome. It'll be fun to see the matchup to go along with Western Carolina's offense, high-flying stats are dragged down really only by that Oklahoma game. Outside of that, they're averaging 33 points per game and have lost their other three games by right around a touchdown apiece on average. And you look now and you have to say that they're not really horrible losses. That Eastern Kentucky team we just mentioned knocked off Austin P. lost that by, I think it was three points. And then Gardner-Webb, they're still receiving votes in the national poll. The Stanford loss I wouldn't necessarily characterize as bad either. It was 42-37, to 37, but this strikes me as a great chance for the Mox to try to get that passing game going, no matter who the quarterback is. And at the worst, you can always fall back on the run game if passing the ball is really digging you a hole. The Catamounts giving up 300 passing yards per game, worst in the league. A lot of interesting storylines. Of course, Western Carolina we don't think is going to make a lot of noise in the Southern Conference this year. Chattanooga, we expect to be right around the top. It may look like a mismatch on paper, but considering how close Western Carolina has played opponents and the quality of opponent that they have played, I think this is going to be a more interesting game than we're giving it credit for. Well, I, I think Western is going to be a, probably a tough out. Um, I don't know that it'll culminate in a lot of wins, but I think they're going to give some teams some fits. And the real reason is they got – maybe arguably the best dual-threat quarterback in the league in Rogan Wells. I mean, he went for 540 yards last week, which normally you go, holy cow, with just Liam Welch went for like 14,000. So uh, he ran for 427, no, threw for 427, ran for 113. He had an 80, I think it was 82-yard touchdown run. So I think anytime you've got somebody like that, and that's really, let's be honest, Western Carolina was giving teams fits and actually winning games in the Southern Conference, right? They had Tyree Adams, and he was a similar type player, and teams could not quite figure out what to do. And again, I think Western's going to be competitive. Again, I don't know it'll translate in a lot of wins, but they're going to give teams fits. I I really believe that because offensively they can do some stuff. I think next year will be a step down. I think year three could be a year where Western makes the biggest jump in the Southern Conference. Of course, I don't know what all the other teams are going to do in the next couple years, but you know, Kerwin Bell's proven to be a, a coach that can win championships, a coach that can put together rosters and stuff. He's got a little bit of Band-Aid right now to get the things going this year. He's got some fifth-year graduate transfers that will be gone this year, and that's where I think the rebuilding next year takes a slight step back. 
the run game and defense is Chattanooga's strength. That's yes. what ETSU was known for. That's what Chattanooga's known for. They tried Drayton Arnold. He's supposed to be the passer. He struggled against Austin P. They've now come back with Cole Copeland. We know Cole Copeland. We've seen him a lot. And the passing game is just struggling. But you look at, obviously, we're going to be biased towards Holmes and Sailors. The numbers, I think, would prove us right right now. But a limb forward in Tyrell Price. Uh, they still have Price. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. So you're looking at those two guys. And then, you know, maybe Abrams and Wynn at Furman. And, I mean, the, the, the one-two punches right there. I mean, I think ETSU won. I think Chats a strong, too. I, I think, think defensively. probably a distant three at this point. I, I agree. But in agree. Their history, yes, right. Agreed. I mean, still those two running backs have put up some gaudy numbers before. Sure. Firmers trying to do some different stuff, but this year for sure, ETSU and Chattanooga the best one-two punch. So I think they're just going to pound the football, not worry about trying to throw it as much. Let Cole Copeland maybe sprint out a little bit. He's athletic, and try to attack teams that way with the ground game and defense. And I'll be curious to see the matchup for me: Rogan Wells versus the Chattanooga defense because they got some good back-end guys. So if he's a little lazy with some passes, Chattanooga certainly. Athletic enough to, to pick off a few passes and have done so this year. But the front seven for Chattanooga, I think if they can sort of, really front three or four can control Wells and, you know, not let him scramble. It's one thing to have design runs, but what kills is what killed ETSU, the, the scramble plays. It's one thing if it's a design run, but a scramble play where you got guys doing other assignments, I'll be curious to see. I think Western keeps us close, closer than whatever the line's going to be when that comes up Saturday morning or the Sharps think the line's going to be. I think Western keeps it to about a one-score game. Um, in, you know, Going into fourth quarter, it wouldn't shock me if Chat put him away with a late touchdown and went up two touchdowns. But I think Chat's going to win this, but I think they'll be in for a little bit of a dogfight. The annual Battle of the Academies, VMI and the Citadel, this year shaping up like it could be one of the most lopsided in the history of the series. Let's start with a couple of pluses with the Citadel, since we're probably going to be piling on them most of the year with negatives. Good to see Willie Eubanks back on the field. He's leading them with 26 tackles, missed a lot of the spring with an injury. He hasn't been that disruptive force yet. No sacks or big game-breaking plays that the All-American has become synonymous with, but he can do that. We know that. VMI has to keep an eye on him consistently. Anthony Britton came on to take Eubanks' role last year and was great. He's doing some good things from the linebacker position, and Marquise Blunt is leading the team in tackles for a loss and sacks. Excellent, excellent linebacking core. Everything else is not good. Obviously, they're predicated on the running game, but their backs just aren't having a lot of success. Jalen Adams has been fine, but Nathan Storch and Emeka Nwanzi are averaging just 3.5 yards per carry combined. They got smacked by Charleston Southern at home. Their only win is over North Greenville, obviously a non-U1. BMI is making it work, even without Seth Morgan. There's a chance he could return this week after that head injury he suffered a couple of weeks back against Cornell, but... With or without him, they'll throw it, probably complete a high percentage. I don't think it'll be as easy to run this week as it proved to be against Wofford last week with those linebackers. But then again, opponents are averaging 4.9 yards per carry against the Citadel this year. There's three teams averaging giving up less than 100 rush yards per game. Trivia, can you name them? Three teams giving up 100 yards or less per game this year. On the ground. Uh, one's ETSU. Boom. Uh, two would be... Shot in the dark, Chattanooga. Boom. Uh, and then the last would be Mercer. Oh! Oh, did I get it? Oh! oh no! Yes! I am the smartest! Yes! Well done. Could it be 
that the Citadel recaptures some old glory and against the worst run defense in the league, that being VMI, who are giving up almost 300 yards per game on the ground, put up 300-plus, control the clock, come out with a shocking 24-21 to victory. Could it be? They're definitely going to have to control the clock. If VMI has trouble tackling, now Wofford's backs are bigger than the Citadel's backs. Uh, I know Jalen Adams, the local product here in Johnson City, is beefed up a little bit, but still he's like 180 pounds. I mean, it's just they're just not big and physical like Wofford's running backs. a different style there. But if they can control the clock, they break some tackles and move the chain, certainly. I mean, you're talking about this is the first time that VMI is trying to have a three-game win streak since the 50s against the Citadel. Wow. They had a seven-gamer back in 50-57. to 57. But they've gone two in a row on the Silver Shanko War, the military classic of the South, as it's appropriately named. But Citadel had won 12 in a row to 2019. First three-game streak again since the 50s. And VMI, to kind of top it off, it was the first back-to-back in quite some time, too. But to do that in the last game of the year, clinch a SOCON championship, you know, first one since 77, certainly a big deal. I'm glad you're excited that Willie Eubanks is back. I would say everybody else in the league that has to hit him is not excited that Willie Eubanks is is back in the league. But I think Citadel, if they can control the clock, they can break some tackles. I think that's the the worrisome part for me when I watch the VMI game. I watched a little bit um, against Cornell. I watched a little bit. Or I watched all of the Wofford game. The tackles are not making with the linebackers, which is generally a staple. That's the one thing you could always count on. AVMI has linebackers after linebackers after linebackers, and they make tackles. They don't let guys escape, break through, and there's some arm tackling. So I think Citadel certainly has a shot because if VMI doesn't shore up the tackling, then the Citadel can go. And this is a game that, you know, these two teams get juiced up for. I mean, no matter when VMI was struggling all the years to – to just win a game in a three-year period and Citadel's winning championships. Like, this is a truly one of the rivalry games that people get juiced up about, especially between the academies. So the Citadel's a very good chance. I think if Corey Britty can run the ball the way he did against Wofford, then I think the league's in trouble trying to stop VMI's offense. If he, if he runs not even 107, he runs for 150, I think VMI's going to be tough to handle because – they're so dimensional, just like ETSU right now, I, I think that's a problem. And so if Brittany can run for over 100 yards, then I think VMI is probably going probably gonna to win this game fairly easily. But if Citadel can kind of shut Brittany down and control the clock, I think Citadel could pull off a major upset here. I think VMI is going to win the game. I just don't think Citadel's shown enough. Um, defensively, they got some big names that can make plays. We'll just see if they can make some plays. I'd agree. I think it's going to be like 24-17. And I like to play every side of the fence, right? Open with saying this is going to be super lopsided. Closed by saying upset Citadel. And, and in the middle, 24-17. Right. And, and when somebody <laughs> calls you out, you just clip out whichever section yeah, you want. What, what do you want from me? Yeah. I mean, I was right on. It's almost uh, like you're a broadcast or you're a meteorologist, right? Sanford at Mercer. To me, this is the game of the week if you're looking for an unbiased opinion. How do the Bulldogs bounce back after what you have to imagine? I, I know we saw ETSU's locker room from the inside. You were in that locker room post game for Sanford. It had to be extremely demoralizing to break all those records against ETSU, but still come out with a loss. Did not get word out of the game, and maybe you did, if Demarcus Ware, who was defending Southern Conference Player of the Week going into the game against the Bucks, was injured, or if they just, just went to chase Stanton, yeah. Stanton after a slow start. I think it was five carries for three yards that Ware had, and they turned to Stanton, who was pretty solid. Uh, not sure if he'll be available or not. Have not heard. Stanton, obviously, 
has put in a lot of time in that backfield, and they're going to be just fine with or without Ware when it comes to the run game, especially considering the fact that they're not a running offense. thought it was odd that Chris Hatcher told me he's really happy with the defensive side of the ball, something that did not age very well. Even going into the game, looking at the rest of the year, give up 37 against Western, and they're you know, obviously – the history of the Sanford defense and the stats this year, I, I thought it was strange. He said that in our pregame conversation. Doesn't exactly strike me as a stellar unit. Then you give up 48 against, e, or excuse me, 55 against ETSU, 48 regulation against ETSU, and let the Buccaneer offense break a bunch of records on you. It doesn't look like a unit that has been improved, I think, the amount that Chris Hatcher hyped it up to. I, I think you're looking at it the wrong way, though. Okay. The way I think you need to look at it is the way Chris Hatcher, <coughs> Chris Hatcher looks at it, which is, if they score quickly, we get the ball back and can put up more offensive yeah. numbers and score quickly again. He's encouraged by it because he wants to break those records. Uh, how does Mercer plan to stop this passing attack of the Bulldogs? Obviously is 1A for them, 1, 1A, 1B, all of the above. Uh, does it even matter if they do because ETSU didn't and they still found a way to win? Tough to tell if the Bears will be able to keep up in the same way ETSU did. They're one of three teams in the league averaging over 30 points per game along with the Bucks and Sanford, but through three games. They've really only played one that will tell us anything about them this year, and it was a 24-3 win over um, Furman last week. It's now five of the last six, though, in the SOCON that Mercer has won going back to last year. What I do think we'll know more about down the road is if Mercer's week one performance was more a product of their dominance or if Furman is not going to have it this year. But with the Paladins off this week, we'll have to wait to see about that. They're likely to dominate the ground game again, as they did against Furman, 223-91. to 91. The clashing styles, of course, compelling, as they always will be when Sanford plays. Since 1932, Mercer has won this matchup two times. It's been by one score each time. Sanford tends to win the more lopsided games. What does that tell you about their matchup in the past and this year, and who do you have? Well, I, I think the one thing is the biggest conf- I was confused about was we didn't know what to do with Mercer because they played Point in Alabama. You just – you don't know. And so I thought Furman – and I know A&T hadn't played – North Carolina A&T hadn't played since 2019. They didn't play in the spring. It had been two years since they played. And we know Tennessee Tech is not very good, to put it lightly, and to be nice to Dwayne Alexander, as a former ETSU coach, as their head coach. But they're awful. Um, I think – didn't know what to do with Mercer. And what I'd seen Furman offensively – and the revenge factor, I thought Furman would win the game. I, I wouldn't. I don't think either one of us said Furman was going to blow him out. This would be. I just thought Furman. We both thought it'd be close. And at the least. Furman would win, you know. But it would be, you know, a 24-21 type game. Right. And then to watch Furman turn it over and turn it over and turn it over, and then to watch really Mercer just do what they do with the formations and the. It's a very simplistic style they just get you with all the eye candy and so i'll be curious to see mercer's defense versus sanford offense is obviously the first thing you have to point to but then i'm not really sold yet on mercer's quarterbacks and what they're doing if they've got to throw the ball and and play catch up in a quick period of time fred payton i've seen a little bit i mean i know he had a touchdown pass last week and you know that was a nice throw but i just don't know that that's their style of game you know ETSU's typically it's not their style of game. Just this year, the passing game has been around there more. Uh, ETSU should be able to make plays. So, I mean, if Sanford puts 35-40 on the board, I'm not real sure right now that Mercer's going to be able to do that. Mercer defensively, though, they can create some turnovers. And 
I think if they can get some turnovers and they can get the ground game going and always keep it within a score, then I think Mercer's got a great shot to win at home. I think the problem is if Sanford kind of runs away and hides, you know, 17, 21 points, I think that's where Mercer's going to struggle. In the same token, it wouldn't shock me if Mercer jumped out to maybe a two- or three-score lead and then all of a sudden – And then then Sanford maybe try to make that late charge. But I'll be curious to see, um, because this is such a must-win for Sanford at this point, if they want to factor – and you hate to say that week, too, but if they go 0-2 – I'm sorry, 1-2 because they beat Western Carolina. But if they go 1-2, you know, you lost ETSU and Mercer. Mercer already got a win at Furman. It just, the, and they don't have Western Carolina in their schedule going forward. Uh, yeah. Which it, is the, probably the only safe win for teams this year. But like you said, probably not going to be safe. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I, I mean, I think, I think, I think again, Western – I think Western may actually have a better record than the Citadel when it's all said and done. Um, and and I, But I think there's still going to be such a – but I think this game – defensively for Mercer, and they had a great game against Furman and was able to just frustrate Furman, and Furman just started chunking balls down the field when they shouldn't. And, and you know, Hamp Sisson looked horrific. And even when Jace Wilson, who's supposed to be the, the new thing that's coming in, they just kind of wanted to wait another year before putting, from what I've been told from Furman folks, he was a year away from getting the starting gig. Will that jump start him? Will they just play the four, get the red shirt in? We'll wait and see. But I was impressed with Mercer's defense, and they play a little unique three-three-five type, gimmicky type defense, like they do on offense. Everything's eye candy, everything's this, that, and the other. But I think if what's going to be interesting, if Mercer jumps out to a big lead, can they hold on to it? Or the opposite, if Sanford jumps out to a big lead, can Mercer come back? If it's a one-score game back and forth, I think that favors Mercer. I, I, you know, them being at home, I think their style, the run game, trying to keep it going. Uh, that being said, if I had to pick a team that is going to win, I'm probably going to go with Sanford and the Wounded Dogs trying to – just trying to will themselves back into the picture. Um, that being said, if you had to give a confidence ranking – I don't know what the lowest confidence rank, a point zero zero one confidence ranking on that pick. Um, this is the toss-up game I'll be paying the most attention to because I, I still don't really know what the win for Mercer said about them against Furman or what it said about Furman versus them. I, I don't know. You won't have yet. a chance to know this week either with Furman not playing. If Mercer wins this game, the rest of the league needs to pay. Uh, absolutely. I mean, for what they did in the spring, and they, they jump out to a 2-0 lead with a win over Sanford and Furman, I think, yes, I think they catapult themselves. And, you know, if you weren't on notice, and, and that's the hard part. I'm not trying to knock Mercer and Drew. Kind of, I, I, the spring's tough just because the game's played and some – it was really tough. And I'm not taking anything away from any – from VMI or Mercer or even what ETSU did in the spring or – you know, South Dakota State winning the championship. Right? I'm not taking away from anything. I, I just I think there are some knowns and unknowns this year that you can't really rely on the spring to give you absolute. But I'm not trying to knock Drew Chronic. I think certainly he's done a masterful job in a short period of time. He's been there to get the guys buy in. And that's the one thing for sure. Whatever he is selling, they are buying down there. Because if you watch them on the sideline, you watch them in person, like they, they are all in on whatever Drew Chronic is, is doing. There. Well, and just to bolster your point, not taking anything away from Mercer, but look at that Chattanooga game, the final game Chattanooga played. It was against Mercer, and 
you had what two starters that were similar from the previous yeah, week, and they, they started had, like nineteen. They rested or twenty guys that were starters to pack in the season. And Mercer was only able to win by seven, it, and there were a couple of fumbled punts. Muff punts, yeah, fumbled punts. So very well, Chattanooga still could have won the game. So again, I believe this Mercer program is on the rise. I think that you are optimistic on them as well, but it is difficult to measure a spring season, especially after you know 16 months of not playing and some teams able to complete some of their seasons, all their seasons, other teams playing their entire season while others played four or five games. It's very difficult to measure accurately where teams are out of that year with everything being so different, time that the season was played, um, layout, different breaks and stoppages within the seasons. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's tough to tell early on now because you're two, three, four games into the season, depending on which team you're talking about. Mercer does a great job, I'll say this, of holding on to the ball. They're 51% on third down conversions. Wow. They have eight guys with eight or more carries. I mean, they just run so many different things at you that you have to be just eye-disciplined. And if you break that discipline, they get big plays. And that's where, like, this is a great matchup for them because I know Chris Hatcher's high on the Sanford defense. I would say me and you are not high on the Sanford defense. How much is Chris Hatcher? I just I, – I really think Sanford, you know, this for Sanford to win this game, it's got to be a shootout. Sanford, I don't believe – can win a 24-17 game against Mercer. And I think Mercer, I think, would have a hard time if it gets to the 48-45 shootout. You know, if it's 38-35, then I'm in the middle. I don't know I don't know who's going to win that thing. But I think if Sanford gets to 40, I think Mercer's going to have trouble there. But in the same token, if Mercer, you know, can keep Sanford at 21 or less, then I think Mercer wins this one going away. Here's the most dangerous question I'll ever ask you. What do you love more, football or basketball? Well, I'm going to answer it this way. Do I love football or ETSU basketball more? What do you love more, ETSU football or ETSU basketball? Oof. That's rough. That is. The answer to that question, I'm interested this week. For over 75 years, Bright Ridge has powered our community, providing the energy to live, work, and play. And now we're looking ahead, investing in our community today, and building the infrastructure to power our community tomorrow. We're supporting zero-emission electric vehicles, harnessing the sun to provide clean, renewable community energy, and expanding into broadband services for our shared future. Bright Ridge, your community power, here for you. Halloween is coming back. There's our spooky intro bumper that we play. I don't know what time of year it is. The question was. You've had all of 45 seconds to think about it. Okay. ETSU football, ETSU basketball. Be careful. How can you PR your way around this? Well, in the fall it's football and in the winter it's basketball. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Buck basketball buzzer beater blowout week number two. Let's go over how this works again before we fill you know, in the I'm, I'm going to get Newland to make a to. bumper for that. I, I need you to write well, something up, and I'll give him that. And we'll, I we'll, wanted to create one last week, and then we had, you know, four games I had to do over the weekend, and 
I may have time tomorrow. Selfish. Just, he's so selfish. Maybe. It's unbelievable. Okay. Uh, let's this is about over, me. Let's go over how this works again. In the build-up to the ETS Events Basketball season, we're emptying the archives, looking back through the previous decade-plus of ETS Events Basketball buzzer beaters. Remember, if you listen to the first segment, you know this, but I am considering buzzer beaters as the following. Any shot from open play with under 20 seconds left in regulation or overtime that won ETSU a game. No ties, no free throws. Had to come from open play and with under 20 seconds left to win a game. Last time we heard Courtney Pegram in the 2006-07 season against Chattanooga make himself a legend. Can you fill us in, Jay Sandoz? Do you remember any buzzer beaters from the rest of that season, the 2007-08 year or the 2008-09 year? I have to appeal to you here because, unfortunately, we don't have them in the archives. They're probably on your rectangular plastic things that you keep over in that corner that apparently somehow have audio on them. Yes, uh, the tapes. Oh, that's what they're called. Tapes. Okay. Tapes. I yeah. see. Uh, yes, the, the one that I can't believe I can't find, I, I tried to do a search, was the game at UNCA back on November 24th, 07. It's back in the old Justice Center. There was 14... I think it seats 1,400. Uh, they burnt popcorn. I thought the place was on fire. It was it was awful. And overtime game, and ETSU down four with a minute 42, if I can walk you through this just for a second. Travis Strong, we used to call him Papaw because he walked around as if he was 90 years. He looked like he is, should be playing at the YMCA. He looked like the old guy at the YMCA. So he hits a three. Then – K.J. Garland missed it. ETSU comes back down. Kevin Tiggs hits a bucket. And here's where it gets a little interesting. So, 85-84, ETSU with 47 seconds. All of a sudden, Sean Smith hits a three with 20 seconds. ETSU's down 87-85. ETSU gets fouled. One of two free – or, I'm sorry, ETSU uh, hits a layup by Andrew Reed with five seconds to go. Bucks break out a full-court press, which they had not done previous to that bucket. Kevin Tiggs – one of my favorite players of all time ever at ETSU, gets a steal, lays it up against Kenny George, all seven foot eight of them, scores with two seconds. Bucks go back in the press, up two. They end, they inbound the ball to Kenny George at midcourt with two seconds. He has a two-handed, over-the-head throw that is a missile <laughs> off the middle of the backboard and hits the front of the rim oh. and falls off, and ETSU escapes with an 89-87 win. Wow. And it was very hectic. That was 07-08. That was 07-08. Now, I, I love know. Kenny George memories because I re- actually remember him growing up and not knowing what UNCA was because I'm from Minneapolis. Like, it, just have no idea where this is, what's going on, how a man is seven foot seven and really not good at basketball. Um, obviously, his size helped, but and I think that he ended up having like some really horrible foot problems where he couldn't end up playing. Well, and, and yeah. unfortunately, he had the. Elephantitis, whatever that is, so he ended up passing away at like oh, twenty. Did. Yeah, oh, twenty-eight. So, um, his organs kept growing. His, oh, wow. he he kind of knew, even at that time, that his days were numbered. And, oh, and I, my my first, I was, this is my favorite story. ETSU's playing UNCA in baseball at McCormick Park, and where the minor league Asheville Tourists play, and right in front, there's no bench or anything. And so I'm sitting there calling the game, and all of a sudden, there's a head come walking by. And I just stand up, and I'm, I'm looking, and I look at Mike Joyce, who's been our longtime SID for like 30 years at that point. I said, Mike, what? The? He goes, oh, that's our new basketball player. I said, is there a bench there? He goes, I oh, no. He's 7'8". I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah. Wait till you see him. And so, anyway, that was my, my Kenny George story. Um, 
he got better in year two than year one. And we have a famous picture of Brad Knuckles, who's six foot eight, who looks like a little kid standing next to him, trying to guard him in the post. Wow. It's quite incredible. Um, the other game I want to bring up that year wasn't buzzer beater, but yeah. it was fresh off the fifty point beat down at Syracuse. Then we had the nor'easter, and we missed some planes and trying to get to Hawaii. We get to Hawaii uh, after basically being up for about twenty eight hours and no shower and all kinds of stories. If that's worth a story time later, story time with Jay ought to be a segment at some point, but. That's kind of what this is. That's kind of why I've done this segment. <laughs> and um, ETSU plays Georgia. And I remember Travis Strong, Papa, come to my room. He goes, well, how do you feel about this game? I said, well, Travis, I said, if you're an SEC player and you're watching film and you get beat by 50, how, how do you think you're preparing for this game? When you're in Hawaii, right? You're in Hawaii. So Dennis Felton was a head coach, and I was on the elliptical, and his wife was next to me, and she is just not really cussing, but dog cussing how bad we are and just telling the players as they come in, and I'm not wearing anything ETSU. I'm just on the elliptical. And at some point, I cut off my music so I could just hear, um, you know, this. And then there's a guy on the staff of Georgia by the name of um, Desmond. Um, um, Mason. No. That doesn't sound right. Desmond no. Oliver. That's his name. Oh. Desmond Oliver's on the Georgia staff. Whoa. And ETSU goes on to beat Georgia by 18, 76-58. The problem for the win was it was the last start time in Hawaii. And and when I got into the hotel, I remember Bobby Rader called me and said, hey, you want to talk about the win? So it missed a news cycle, and then ETSU lost the next game to Louisiana, I think it was, no, St. Mary's with Patty Mills and Omar Sanhan and all the pro guys. So it was like the win, it never happened. It's like they had a big win. By 20, but because of the game time and the time change, ETSU had played a second game by then. It was like almost the game uh, didn't exist. So that was it for 07, 08. Now, 08, 09. NCAA year. It was. Uh, and this was one of those games in the Dome, January 3rd against Jacksonville. Old Cliff Warren's bunch came in. And with 30 seconds to go, ETSU was up to Isaiah Brown, commits a foul. Lehman Colbert, very talented power forward, hits a couple free throws. ETSU runs the play. Vendalia, which I know you don't know what that means. Or actually, ETSU was tied, I guess, 82-82. Sounds pretty. And uh, that's where Mike Smith was from, Vendalia, Missouri. Mm. And so Mike Smith gets a down screen from the block, flashes high, catch it, he sweeps, takes one dribble pull-up jumper from the free throw line, hits it with two seconds, and then the heave from midcourt does not go down, I think, by Travis Cohen. And so ETSU able – to win it, basically the buzzer uh, inside the mini dome en route to an NCAA championship. So that was the true buzzer. There was a couple free throw games in there, but that doesn't fit the criteria, so I'm leaving them out. That's all I got. uh, What was the record that year? Buccaneers were just solid. 23-11, and 13-6 in the A-Sun would go on to lose to Pittsburgh in the NCAA tournament after being – Pitt was the overall number one seed, I believe. Stetson, Belmont, and Jacksonville. Fourteen point win, fourteen point win, seventeen point win. Pittsburgh was the number one seed. Did they have Dwan Blair? Was that Dwan yeah, Blair? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was um, uh, and then they had Blair, Eton, all the. But the big thing about that that was the game before ETSU was Tennessee, Oklahoma State. Mm. And so ETSU had an inherent, you know, crowd. And, and every time a sixteen hangs with the one, the crowd turns yeah. on the one, right? Yes. But having the Tennessee fans there, even and ETSU played, I think Oklahoma State that year or the year before. And so Oklahoma State had also um, kind of 
I remember the, the radio crew of Oklahoma State, because ETSU had played them pretty tight the year before. I think they ended up losing by 12, but it was a pretty – 13, 78 to 65 the year before. But it was like a five-point game going to last media timeout in the Iba Gallagher Arena there. So, I think your cousin or whatever. Yes, but, correct. So, the impressive part was Oklahoma State had seen the Bucks and was familiar, and they're very smart fans. And then Tennessee was there. So, ETSU actually forced a turnover in the last media timeout in a tie game, and Courtney Pegram <laughs> – had a clean look and airballed it and went downhill from there and ETSU yeah. lost by 10. And it was one of those – Riza went to the media timeout. The ball was actually thrown to me. So, I wish I could find that call. And I do I do have that somewhere because we do have the pit game. But I need to just get that call for you because it was like basically inbounds pass to me, timeout. But, you know, I'm just losing my mind. Uh, so, that was a good year, good memory. The crowd was really on the bucks at that point in time. And – yeah, I remember the national media talked more about, at least for that day, talked more about ETSU and the fact that it was a travesty that they were a 16 seed um, playing Pitt. And then, obviously, the next couple of days of tournament, things happen. You didn't get to talk. But that's, uh, that's all I got to ETSU. 2009-10, also a good year for the Buccaneers. We've got all of the buzzer beaters from here on in, 2009-10 season, all the way up through the, I guess, abbreviated 2020 21 season. This was actually with the Bucks down one, so it made it that much more important that the Blue and Gold were able to have someone to count on to rescue them. Thankfully, this man showed up right when his team had their collective back against the wall. Jarvis Jones is trying to find anybody. Finds Isaiah Brown. Back to Jones for the game in the corner. Jarvis Jones got it. Ball game. No, they're going to put time on the clock. Jarvis Jones hit a three. They're going to put time on the clock. Holy cow. Jarvo, how big has he been? Adnan Hodzik was in his face, and Jarvis Jones dotted the eye in Hodzik. Sophomore at the time, Jarvis Jones. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the man himself because he's one of just two on this countdown with multiple game winners for ETSU during his career. Any guesses at the other? G-Long. Wow. Was it? like that. Oh, yes. Impressive. Ah. Let, can I just talk about how much I enjoyed Adnan Hodzik? He looked like um, in Rocky Four, And I know he wasn't Russian, but he looked a lot like Dragoff or whatever his name was. And and so he, he, was, an, he was an animal. And that thing was there's not one Lipscomb player I hated more than Josh Slater. I have no idea what he is on the person. I just hated him on the court, but I'm sure he's a great guy. But Josh Slater had hit the shot that I think gave them the lead. And ETSU fans hated Slater. Slater was one of those guys that would come to the student section and antagonize the opposing team, one of those guys. And they were a great one-two punch with Slater and Hodzik. Hodzik was just an animal down low. But I, I remember that play again because almost all of Jarvis's, if I remember all three of them, they were all sort of broken plays. N- none of them were ran to anything. It just sort of he's got the ball. And at that point, Isaiah Brown was supposed to – I can't remember what he was supposed to do at that point, but he ended up – Throwing, you know, he's supposed to turn around, score. It doesn't, kicks it, and Jarvis hits the three. 2010. Allen Arena. January 21st at Lipscomb. As for the year itself, very famous one in ETSU lore. This was the last NCAA tournament appearance for the Bucs until the days of, of course, Steve Forbes. Getting them back there in 2017, which stands as the one tournament the Bucks have gone to since the 2010 season. Of course, qualified for another in 2020, but wiped out due to COVID. The Bucks would beat Lipscomb that day, go on to 20 wins, 13 of which were in the Atlantic Sun. They'd win nine of their last 11 in the regular season in SoCon Tournament, went on to take on Kentucky, and just did not have enough defense on that day. Lost 100-71. to That was a tough team to stop, Jay. I'm sure you remember the names like 
John Wall. Six draft picks. DeMarcus Cousins. First round. Eric Bledsoe, great college players, those three, and probably better pros. What do you remember about the Bucks team from that season? Came together at the end. The really, I think, had um, kind of struggled. Maybe middle of the season had some struggles. Came together at the end. And the big thing about that one was ETSU was a game out of first and was a fifth seed because it was a four-way tie for first. All the bottom seeds, five, six, seven, eight, won the quarterfinal games. Wow. First time I've ever seen that. And then five, six played in championship. And it was at Mercer. They were the sixth seed with Bobby Hoffman, that everybody loves. That's the, that's the one thing I remember about that. The second thing I remember was people talking about the starting five for Kentucky was going to be a first-round draft pick, but they weren't sure about Eric Bledsoe and his shooting. And I believe he either set the Kentucky record or tied it for made threes in the game. He had a lot. And like eight or nine. Uh, the other thing I remember was Daniel Orton turned into, like, the, the mean brother where he was standing in front of the goal. ETSU, I think, had six shots right in front of the rim, and it was almost like you're playing with, like, kindergartners and you're just swatting it away. I mean, at one point I was like, just throw it out and shoot a three. Like, just get away from Daniel Orton. He blocked. That was the only uh, – um, that and, and uh, Jay Billis was uh, sitting in the bonus because he was calling the game there. So that's all I got. Bourbon Street was great. One of the greatest girl fights I've ever seen on Bourbon Street. We can talk about that later. <laughs> so cool. Buck basketball, buzzer beater, blowout. Fun second. We are how many days away from ETSU season starting? Uh, it's like exactly 42 or 43. Six practice days. starts Monday. Practice starts Monday. Good timing. So there you go. Buck basketball is back, baby. Shohei Ohtani. I don't know if you heard this yet. He's going to pitch and hit. Mark it down. Plus 10 yards. is whenever we talk about golf and you at this moment are you able to swing a golf club no <laughs> no no i'm not <laughs> so. uh you are able to predict something in a bold manner correctly five times out of ten this season you're five and five this is i believe the best record a month in or further that any of us have ever had you're you're batting 500 this is incredible uh, five and five I feel like three more dubs coming I, i'm one and nine which is way more around what we usually are at this correct so i'm not underperforming you're overperforming Will I, will I come back down? Is that the question? So I know what your first one's going to be because you teased it in the first segment, 167 yards rushing over four games against Wofford, so you're going to say the Bucks are going to do more than that this game. 200. 200? Oh, okay. All right. I will, do you, I will do you one better. 200 right. yards on the ground. Okay. I'm going to predict the exact score because I clearly think that wow. predicting the most bold thing you possibly can is a good idea. Judging by my 1-9 record, I think I've been a little bit off base, but I'm going to go with the exact score, and there is a method behind the madness. It's going to be the average of the other four scores 
versus Wofford since football's been back, except flipped. In four games, the Bucks have lost 31-14 to 14 if we round down both numbers. So it's going to be the Bucks winning, 31-14. to 14. Now, if you round up and actually it's over a half point in each case, so it would be yeah, 32-15. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not fun. Probably not very likely 32-15 happens. 31-14, ETSU. Second bowl prediction, Kansas State is going to make it three in a row over Oklahoma. Wow. 11-point dogs. I like that because Oklahoma has been just teetering on the edge. Teetering on the edge. That's going to leave college believe, playoff in peril. I believe Kansas State may even do it with a backup quarterback. That's how bold it is. Your starter might not start, and you've got to beat Oklahoma. Plus 11. Plus 11. <laughs> Straight up. Getting the dub. Is it in Norman? It is not. It's at least at Kansas State, but still. They've been playing with fire, the Sooners. Who's going to make the college football playoff at that point? I mean, there's <laughs> there's nobody left. I mean, everybody keeps losing. I mean, clearly Michigan's in. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you imagine? <laughs> uh, Josh Coughlin comes to your booth post game and rips you limb from limb. No, that's not what we're Oof, that would be good. But I think that it's likely. I'm a free bleeder, so I need security up here quickly. Uh, this is the least interesting bold prediction that probably there's ever had. Utah State. Oh, okay. They were uh, BYU's a on a roll. Start the year, won a couple of tight road games at Washington State and Air Force. Got shut down by Boise State at home last week. Now they face BYU mm-hmm. at home. Their first ranked opponent of the year, the Aggies, Blake Anderson, will pick up his second FBS ranked win of his career. Yes, they did lots of research on Blake Anderson. He beat Troy earlier in his career. But his second ranked win of the season because at the FCS level, of course, beat North Dakota. But obviously those don't count when you're an FBS team. Utah State. So every time we've done this last two weeks, we've had the same thing. Yes. And I have changed and won my change, and you have stayed with and lost. So yeah. before we talk about our third one, yeah. do you want to change your third one before we get going here? I think that it's going to be the same prediction again, at least involving the same game. Maybe not the same okay. prediction, but it's going right. to involve the same game, I think. All right, what do you got? You Tampa? I got Brady by 20 or more over New England. Oof. Well, that's what I have, but I'm going to switch it <laughs> so I can get a win. New England is greater than TB and TB12. They will win. Just a straight-up win? They're I know you did not have that exact same prediction because you've never been against the Patriots because you're bitter about Brady. Yeah, yeah I've You're bitter the about Brady. I've, you did not I've have the same thing. against the Patriots. You're trying to will it, though, out I've, there, aren't I pick, you? I pick yeah, against yeah, the Patriots. No, there's no way. When, Miami, when New England plays at Miami, who do I pick every year? Well, Brady's not with New England anymore, so I mean, I still pick. I still, the he lost there too. Yeah, he yeah, lost he in Denver, and he, he lost in uh, South Beach. He, a lot. Lose, right? he lost to Osweiler in Denver too. You remember that? He yeah, lost to about everybody, yeah, I mean, except for Tebow. He could beat Tebow. Well, that's, that's the only guy. Which is he could ironic beat. because Tebow had like the late miraculous. Well, and, and then he was on the roster at some point of New England. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. Well, both predictions. Gosh, I need to. I need to come back. Bucks won't need to come back Saturday. ETSU, 31-14. They'll love it. Let's go. Love it. 200 yards rushing for the Bucks. Woo! We'll be back Monday. Buccaneers, Mark Network. Cowboy up, go play ball.